0: John chapter 1. starting' moving on to a new topic today new subject today John chapter 1 and I want you to read with me in verse 40 through 46 John 1:40 40, 40 through 46. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. God shall be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was with Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. And we see here that this is the first soul winners that we really see of in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, where... John the Baptist was preaching Christ and then Christ comes on the scene and it says that uh, he finds Philip and Philip went and found Nathaniel. that Jesus found Andrew and Andrew went and found Peter and brought him and said, we found the Messiah, we found the Lord, the one that the law and the prophets spoke of. I want to read this. I know I've quoted a lot lately from uh, this book I read by uh, Willie Burton, who was a missionary to Africa from England. Uh, to spend his life, I think the last 75 years of his life, ministering in Africa in uh, literally uncharted areas. And he kept a diary. And I just wanted to read a couple of sentences, uh, a couple of paragraphs from his diary. He says, they went to the Macombo village. It was a village of about 50 huts, and the people there were intelligent. They grew castor oil, pineapples, and so forth. No one would suspect them of the horrid practice of eating human flesh. There's a bunch of cannibals that they would go minister to. They gathered respectfully and listened to the gospel. Later, three or four lads came to the tent asking, Can we, by believing, become God's children in one day? So I explained how instantly and eternally we, we may become God's children. Then said they, Now we become His they gave their lives to the Lord. And he later states, Last Sunday, 87 believers gathered around the Lord's table to show forth His death in the Lord's Supper. He says, When we remember how less than four and a half years ago, this is according to his his, uh, diary, four and a half years ago, I was stranded on the mission hill with my only companion, Brother Salter, slowly coming back from the very jaws of death with fever, how we stood in the midst of the desolation of rocks, and long grass and forest, and looked across to the villages nestled among the trees, how having scarcely a word of the language, we could only pray, (coughs) pray, pray for those thousands who had never heard the name of Jesus. When you remember this, you can understand how our hearts nearly burst, and how often the wellsprings of our being overflowed in a boundless thanksgiving to God, how again and again when we sought words to praise Him, for this band of rejoicing Christians all we could do was pour out our feet at his pour out our hearts at his feet in gratitude. So he's talking about winning souls. And I want to talk to y'all today about being soul winners. I want to talk to you today about the call of God upon our lives as believers to be evangelists. Now, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came into the world to be the savior of the world right? He came into the world to be the Savior of the world. He seeks men and he finds men. And when men come to Christ and get born again and really get saved, those men are commissioned then to find others and bring them to the Lord as well. But he came into this world to be the Savior of the world. The Bible says, Jesus said of himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom For all or for many and Timothy uh, Paul says in Timothy that he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. You know the word ransom and what it means. It means the redeeming price of a man. I think it's important we understand it's a man. He gave himself to be a ransom for all the ransom is a redeeming price for a man. Uh, uh, not an animal. It's not like we went and bought a mule to, to do some work for us or, or a dog, to be a pet or a hunting dog or something like that. It's specifically the redeeming price of a man. And the Lord, through what He did on the cross on His first coming, has paid the price to redeem men from death, from sin, from sickness, from the hand of the enemy and all, all the enemy's desires for your life and for my life. Jesus finished it He accomplished what he came to do. I just want to read this scripture. And and, uh, you don't have to turn there. This is Jesus speaking in Zacchaeus' house. And he said unto him in Luke 19, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. A lot of people that maybe don't know the Lord, a lot of people that like to use Jesus when it's convenient to use His name, or to maybe in a political campaign, or whatever it may be, um, they'll, they'll use Jesus when it's convenient. And they'll tell us all the reasons, according to them, that Jesus came. He came to be a rebel, or He came to you know, uh, be a teacher. He came to show us a better way. But when you turn to the Bible, and you find out Jesus, what, what His Word says of Him, what He said of Himself, The Bible says, it tells us why Jesus came. He says right here, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. At that point, he was speaking in Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus, he said, salvation has come to your house today. Okay? And speaking about Zacchaeus, he too is a son of Abraham. And so I believe Zacchaeus gave his life to the Lord. In that brief meeting in his house that day. And that is why Jesus Christ came. You need to know it and I need to know it. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give himself to be a ransom for all men. The redeeming price paid for a man. He came and did that. And he accomplished that at his first coming. And so um, the Lord says in the Old Testament in Isaiah 43, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So, if people call you narrow minded for being a Christian, then we, we are narrow minded. Okay? There is a narrow way, Jesus said. It's a narrow way. Straight is the <coughs> gate, narrow is the way narrow, that leads to salvation, and few there be that find it. It is a narrow gate, but I've always heard some old preacher said it's wide enough for all. It's narrow, but it's wide enough for all. If everybody on this planet wanted to get saved and give their lives to the Lord, they could. All right? It's a narrow gate but it's wide enough for all. And so we are narrow-minded in that sense, only in the sense that the Bible says we are. The Lord says, I am the Lord, even I, and besides me, there is no Savior. Now, when the Lord came and He gave up the ghost on the cross, the Bible says He breathed His last, He gave up the ghost, and what did He say? It is finished. It is finished. He accomplished what He came to do. He accomplished the purpose of His first coming. He finished it. God gave him a course. God gave him a plan, and all the way along the way, even as a carpenter in, in Joseph's house and so forth, all along the way, he knew that cross was before him. It was always ahead of him at this first coming. That cross, he knew he was going to end up there, suffering and dying and shedding his blood. Live, having lived a sinless life, having done the miracles, having fulfilled all the scriptures written about him. All that the prophets foretold about him was fulfilled in that one life. He laid when he hung on the cross and died between two thieves. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost because no man took his life. He gave it. He laid it down. But he said it's finished because he completed everything he had to do at his first coming. Now, the Bible says he's coming again one day. Amen. For a different purpose. But when he died, he died in our stead. He died in our place. He died, the Bible says, the just for the unjust. And he died that all that would believe in him would have the gift of eternal life. I'm giving you such simple, basic things that you know. He died for all, but it's those that receive him. It's those that believe him that receive the gift of eternal life. That was the purpose of his first coming. He made a way for men to be right with God, he made a way for men to enter into heaven legally rightly, freely, to enter into heaven through the blood of his son, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that way was paved and that way was made. And the Bible says, I'll just read this from Colossians chapter one, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be in things in earth or things in heaven. Now, the Bible says right here that he made peace through the blood of his cross. What type of peace did God make? Did he bring world peace? Or is everybody at peace with one another? Is everybody at peace with their neighbor? Or somebody of a different race or a creed or color or religion or nations at all? Obviously not. That's not in place now. But what he did do, it says, having made, past tense, okay? Having made peace through the blood of his cross. He made peace between sinful men and a holy God. He made peace to where there's not that tension, contention, uh, being estranged, being separated, being at each other, being against each other. Um, and the Bible says that when we were uh, in the world, we were enemies of the Lord. We didn't know it, probably, didn't realize we were enemies with God. And there's a uh, some famous author that was about to die. I forgot who it was, but his friend, who was a Christian, went and talked to him and said, have you made peace with God before he died? And this famous, uh, it might have been Thoreau or Emerson or one of these uh, poets. And the man said, I didn't know that God and I ever had a quarrel. But the fact of the matter is, every man has to make peace with God. And it's through the blood of his son. He's done it from his part. In other words, he's reached out the olive branch. And more than that, he died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says, having made peace through his blood, it says in Romans 5, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the peace that God makes is one on one, one on one, one man at a time. You may have a husband get saved and the wife isn't saved yet. You may have a brother get saved and his brother's not saved yet. You may have an aunt, you know, get saved and your uncle's not saved. It's just one on one, but he's done what he had had to do to make peace through the blood of his cross and all that believe in him receive this gift of eternal life. And the Bible says that after he did what he did on the cross, when he says it's finished, the Bible says, according to the scriptures, he was buried. According to the scriptures, he rose again the third day, spent 40 days on the earth, and then he ascended to the place where he is now, in the position of authority at the right hand of the Father even now. And he, the Bible says before he made promises. He made promises before he left. He led captivity captive. He led the captives free. He gave gifts to men. But he promised to one day rapture his church. He told those disciples in John chapter 14, he says that uh, be, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And so he's forecasting or foretelling his plan and his purpose for those that he has redeemed through his blood, that I've got a place for you, and it's to bring you with me. And so he, he promised to rapture the church. Y'all, Peter, Peter read scripture about it today and talked about it during the praise and worship that it could be any day. But we are to live like it could be today. We're not wrong to live. that We may be wrong that it doesn't come today. In other words, we said it's going to come today, and it didn't. But we're not wrong to live as though it would come today. Okay? Because that's how the Bible tells us to live. And, and that's how God wants us to. But He's made a promise also that He is going to return again and that He's going to establish His kingdom on this earth. Now I want you to look at a passage here and I'm going to really get into the message in just a moment. I'm just kind of laying the groundwork. Acts chapter 1. 9 through 11. Acts 1, 9 through 11. He's already told them, wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Don't leave Jerusalem till you're renewed with power from on high. And when he had spoken in verse 9, these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, that's angels, stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall also come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's telling that you know, they're being told about the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord, not the rapture, but the second coming of the Lord. But even though God has made these promises, the Lord made these promises after the cross and after uh, He ascended to high where He's on the right hand of the Father now, He gave commission to men. He gave marching orders to, to men. Until then, how am I supposed to live? Until then, Lord, what do You want me to do? I know I use it all the time, but when Saul of Tarsus was knocked off his horse, on the Damascus road and blinded and heard the Lord speak to him. And the, and he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord says to him, you get up and go to Damascus and it will be told you what you should do. And then, of course, the Lord sent Ananias who prayed for him and began to give him, uh, restored his sight. He was filled with the Holy Ghost and he received his marching orders, so to speak. Every one of us on this planet, if we're born again, we have a commission of God upon our lives. We have a calling of God upon our lives. That word commission simply means full power and permission. We're, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. That is a calling. It's not a convenience. It's not if you feel like it, if I feel like it, if I get around to it, if I get my work done, if I get my kids through T-ball, if I get all this done. It is a calling of God upon our lives and to be ambassadors for the Lord. You and I are to live for Jesus Christ privately. When nobody's around, you and I are to live for the Lord Jesus Christ publicly. There should be no difference. We shouldn't wear two hats. I put this one on when I go to the plant to work, and I take this off, and I put this one in when I come home to my wife and my kids. I ought to be a born-again man everywhere I go. Unashamed. Now, I know there's there's times and places to say certain things. I understand that. But I'm a Christian, and so are you 24-7. And I'm called to live for God. The Bible says you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You are. Redeemed men and women and young people are the salt of the earth. Not the Bible, not the a church service. You are, and I am, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let your light, this is our commission, let your light so shine before men. The light is Jesus, right? The light of the world is Jesus in us. Let your light so shine before men what? That they may see your good works because that's what they're going to see and hear your words and see your life and see your good works. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's going to bring glory to God. That is a commission and a calling upon our lives to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a representative, but he's even more than a representative. An ambassador is a representative with power. Now he has some authority with him. The authority of the one who sent Him. And that's what we talked about our whole study on the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going out in His name, healing in His name, casting out demons in His name. These, these signs shall follow them that believe. So believers going out, not just throwing the name of Jesus around like the seven sons of Sceva that tried to cast out demons and couldn't, but we're going with authority. We're ambassadors for Christ. And so we can live this life by the, the indwelling Christ in us, every saved individual, young or old, has this calling of God upon their lives. Okay? That, that we've been brought to Christ and we ought to be bringing others to Christ. Bring men to Christ and bring Christ to men. Okay? Bring Jesus to them, bring them to Jesus. We, every single one of us, don't say that's just for my parents. Okay? That's just for the pastor. That's what I paid money to missions for, for the missionary to go do that. It's for you. It's for me. And he places us and sprinkles us like salt all over this planet so that we can be salt to those people that he's put in our lives. No man takes a light and covers it up, or a candle, but he sets it up in a prominent, conspicuous place. He sets it on a lampstand or a candle stand where it can give light to all that are in the house. Everybody in your house may not be saved. Everybody in your school, your workplace, your community is not saved. And so they're in darkness spiritually. And you are the light of the world, and so am I. And we're to let that light so shine that they may see, I'm sorry, our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Turn with me if you would in your Bibles. We're in Acts already. Turn to uh, turn to Acts chapter. Sure Acts chapter four. And I want to begin uh, reading several scriptures here in Acts 4. 18 through 20, and then we'll skip down to verse 29. Acts 4, 18 through 20. And they called them and commanded them. This is the, the council rebuking Peter and John for <coughs> preaching in Jesus' name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So that's the commandment. The world is trying to shut them up. The God of this world is trying to shut them up. They received a commandment from this religious council that was in a position of authority. Don't do it. Don't speak or preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. We're commanding you. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What is Peter saying? What are Peter and John saying? They're saying, we understand you're giving us an order, but we have another calling. Not just another calling, but a higher calling. A calling that usurps every other calling or authority. That's what we have to understand as Christians. It is not our calling to bow down and cow down to this world and the world system around us. I'm not saying you have to go out and get yourself shot for the Lord. I am saying that we have to live for Jesus at all costs. Whatever that brings, for these men at this time, it brought a rebuke. Okay, I want to keep reading a little further in this chapter. Skip down to 29, and we'll read 29-31. So they're they're threatened, and they let go, and they go back to the company of believers, and they make a prayer. Verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto Thy servants that with all boldness they may speak Thy word, By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. (coughs) So they received the commandment to shut up, don't do it anymore. Their prayer is, God, help us to do it more, give us boldness to do it. Grant that there would be confirmation of your gospel by the miracles that would take place through our lives. Would you allow it to be so that when we preach about a God of miracles, you would actually do miracles that people would see that? And that's the way the Lord chooses to work. And they spake the word how with boldness. You had people that were shy, and it's not their personality, but guess what? They spoke it with boldness. It's not my personality, I'm pretty quiet. You might be pretty quiet. You might be pretty loud. We're not talking about your natural personality. We're talking about by the power of the Holy Ghost, speaking the word of God with boldness. Now, let's look at chapter 5. i want to read a few more passages here next. Eight, uh, chapter 5, 19 and 20. <clears throat> now this is the second time. They've been told not to go preach. And guess what? They went and preached. They went and preached in the same place, the same gospel, the same <clears throat> message. And God was still saving people. Even though the world told them to shut up. Alright? But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison. They were thrown in prison the second time for preaching. And brought them forth and said, here's what the angel said. Go stand and speak in the temple to the people of all, all the words of this life. And I love that. It's a simple little verse. Verse 20. But the angel sets them free from the prison where they were thrown for preaching the gospel. It says, I want you to, here's what I want you to do. Go back to the temple. That's just where they were. That's just where they got arrested. Twice they got called down. Once they got thrown in prison. And the angel lets them out of prison. And says, go back to the temple. And guess what? Give out water bottles to people that are thirsty. Give out some meals to people that are hungry. No. Go back and stand in the temple. And speak to the people all the words of this life. Take the gospel right back to them. Take the word that you were preaching that got you thrown in the prison the first time. Go right back to the same place and preach the same gospel. And let's skip down to verses uh, verse 29. We'll read 29 through 32. Then Peter. Now they're called down the second time. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers, Raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted on the right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses. You see, they understood their calling. We're his witnesses. So you can keep beating us, you can keep putting us in prison, you can keep threatening us and telling us not to. We're not changing our minds. This isn't a point of changing our mind. This isn't a point of we're going to come to some compromise. This isn't a point where we're going to find some place where we can coexist. He says, we are His witnesses. God had made them witnesses. They didn't just witness. They were witnesses. And we are too by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are His witnesses of these things and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Verse 42. Skip all the way into the chapter. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not. You see the I don't know the, the vastness of this, daily in the temple, every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. This was the calling of God upon their lives. This is the calling of God upon your life and on my life. And I want to tell you that there is no higher calling that there is no higher calling that could be on a human being's life than to be a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to see that. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not a book we read about Andrew Murray or something like that. It is the truth. There's not a higher calling or anything in life that we could occupy ourselves with that would be of greater value than occupying ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you quit your education or your work or your occupation in order to do it. I'm saying you do it, and I do it wherever we are, whenever we can, at work, not at work. However, God opens the door <clears throat> for you and I to do it. There's not a higher calling of God. We are the sons of God, and we have the ability to bring others to Christ as well. The Bible says, "To He came unto His own, His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him, that them gave He power to become the sons of God." There's not a higher calling. I remember when I was in high school, it was just up for a little passing moment. You know how you fill out these things in high school and where do you see yourself in 10 years, 20 years, whatever. What do you want to do with your life? I don't think most people I'll say most people. I don't think most people have a clue in high school what they're going to end up doing with their life. I wanted to go to law school, Alberto, and I wanted to be a, a, I wanted to eventually become a Supreme Court Justice. I thought that would have been a cool thing. A wonderful thing that lasted about two days, you know, that, that desire. But trying to think of whatever I would want to do, that's kind of what I, I had in my mind. But, you know, there's not a higher calling than to bring somebody to Jesus Christ or to share this gospel. There's nothing above that. We think in a legal sense, being a Supreme Court justice, that's the top. You can't get higher if you're in politics becoming the president. You know what I mean? It's just the highest. But this is so much higher to live for God and to live with God and to be his ambassador. We have both the privilege, y'all, and the responsibility to bear this gospel and to bear this good news to other people. It's invaluable, and there's not a higher calling. And I believe the reason there's not a higher calling is is because it's the only thing that really deals with eternity. It's the only thing that de- even a Supreme Court justice, he's going to operate with the laws of the land. It's temporal. He'll die. The law will die out. The legal system will die out. The person that you've vindicated or helped is going to die one day. And it, goes no- it can't go beyond that. It has nothing that, cap- that carries on into eternity. But everything about the gospel is about eternity. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. So it it deals with eternity. It deals with God (coughs) redeeming men that he loves, that he created in his own image, that Jesus died for. And we're going to them and say, did you know there's a Savior that loves you? There's a Savior that died for you. This is talking about your eternal eternity, your eternal destiny. And the only answer for men and the sinfulness of men is the blood of Jesus. There's not another answer. It's not a psychiatrist. It's not another religion. It's not another God. It's not even, quote, the religion of Christianity. It's Christ himself. And we bring this gospel to him because sin separates men from God. It's the only thing. Because even death doesn't. You know, the scriptures tell us that you know, David said, if I made my bed in hell, you're there. If I go to the utter, deepest part of the sea, you're there. If I take the wings of a bird and fly off, you're there. Nothing separates a man from God that created him except our sin. It severs that relationship because we're sinful by our nature. And we're sinful by our actions. And he's a holy God. And sin is the big barrier. Sin is the big sickness. But Jesus Christ is the remedy. He's the cure. He's the answer. And he's the only answer for for sin, okay? And to where man can be reconciled unto their God and their creator. Everything's out of whack, y'all. Sin has contaminated and polluted and tainted and brought a curse on everything. The hurricanes are a result of sin. The earthquakes are a result of sin. Animals eating people and mosquitoes stinging you. That's a result of sin. It's all the result of sin. And it's the only thing that can reconcile a man to God, to his creator, and make peace with God, like we talked about, is the blood of Jesus and faith. And so you and I have the privilege to tell others about it. They may accept, they may reject, but the calling doesn't change. They were called to go and to teach eternity. Where will men spend eternity? Where will men spend eternity? You and I get to be part of that. You understand what I'm saying? Not if they get an extra $100 on a paycheck or an extra $75 from Medicare or something like that, but where will they spend eternity? And you can be poor and bring the gospel to a poor person or bring it to a rich person. You can be male and bring it to a female. You can be black and bring it to a white. You can bring it, that gospel, that good news (coughs) is for all, to be saved. and has to do... Men's souls and spirits are eternal. I know you know these things. The body's going to go on the ground. It'll be raised at the rapture if we're saved. But the, the, the soul and spirit live forever. And I wanted to read this. I'm going to read several through this, this sermon on uh, quotes from, from Willie Burton. But I wanted to read this. Uh, he says this. In these days, many are openly teaching... And others are secretly teaching that there is hope of salvation after death. Some indeed are saying that God would not be just if it were not so. But God Himself says when a wicked man dies, his expe- expectation perishes, and the hope of unjust men perishes too. When? When does this happen? It says when he dies, his hope perishes. What are we saying? That it's determined in this life if a man's going to heaven or hell, and then after that, the judgment then after that, heaven or hell, there's no redos. There's no undoing it. Now I can understand better and I'll go back and get it right with God. It is now. And we have the privilege to bring the Gospel to now. The grave cannot praise you. Death cannot uh, celebrate you. He goes on to say, uh, they go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. These are teacher, these teachers that preach that there could be salvation after you die. Okay, He says they belittle God's Word. <laughs> They paralyze missionary enterprise and leave the heathen to eternal doom by saying that they may go down into the pit and can yet hope. God's word says they cannot hope for his truth. God says the person, this is from Proverbs 29, the person who is often reproved but blatantly refuses to listen will suddenly be destroyed and there is no changing the outcome. So what is he saying? He's saying heaven's real. Hell is real. You and I have the privilege of bringing Christ to people the privilege, and the responsibility. It has to do with the person's relationship with God, the gospel that you bring, or their lack of a relationship with God, the Most High God that created him. It has to do with their joy and their peace. It has to do with it, being, uh, living a life filled with guilt and sin and shame or being free from that. What higher thing could you bring to a person or I bring to a person? You understand what I'm saying? And so much of the world is involved with the social gospel of of trying to make people's lives on earth better. It's not in and of itself sinful or bad to feed the hungry or to clothe the naked. Those are good things. Or visit somebody in prison. But of higher, ultimately higher value is to bring them the gospel. What good does it do me if I say be warmed and filled and clothed and I don't bring them to Christ? they'll be warmed and filled and go right on to hell. And I'm the one, maybe in their whole life, that they ran across, that our past crossed, that could have told them how they could be free from sin and guilt and the power of sin and the shame that's eating them up right now. And the power of sin that's got a hold upon their lives. And we have that privilege. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. They don't rejoice when somebody gets a raise. Or this politician got elected instead of that one. Or they get a new suit of clothes or whatever. They rejoice in heaven when one sinner repents. What brings joy to heaven is somebody coming to know this Christ that died for the sins of the world. How does he choose to do that? I always say he doesn't speak to that oak tree back there. He could, but he has a way. God has an order and a plan in the system. okay? And he has planned to speak through believers Philip went and found Nathaniel. We found the Christ. Andrew went and found his brother Peter. We found the Messiah that all the law and the prophets spoke of. And they brought him to Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come see. Come see. And brought him <coughs> to the Lord. This is why the Bible says that, uh, that he that wins souls is what? wise. There's a wisdom there, and there's a wisdom to winning people to Christ. Psalm 126, 6. He that goes forth and weepeth bearing precious seed, let's say in this example, the seed of the gospel, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Guess what you and I are going to have the privilege to do? I don't know technically how it's going to work, but whoever Alberto is one to the Lord in his life, it's one person, 100 people, however many it is. He will have the privilege. He won't get to take his car. He won't get to take his house. He will go to take his titles or positions of his work. But guess what? He will get to bring with him people that he has had the privilege of leading to the Lord. Is that not an amazing thing? We won't get to bring anything else with us. None of it. Even good things we've done and kind things... It's not that they're totally pointless. It's not that they have no value to them. Okay? It's that there's something of eternal value. And it's bringing this gospel to men. Bringing men to Christ. And we will get to not only go to heaven. Those people you lead to the Lord will go to heaven one day. You'll go to heaven one day. You can't bring anything you left behind. But you'll be with the Lord and with those people you want to the Lord throughout all eternity. That's an amazing thing whether it's at the Foxy's Outreach, which is on a mission trip to Dominican Republic, whether it's your children, whoever it is bringing people to Christ, <clears throat> there's nothing uh, that's of any higher value. Some people plant, the Bible says, the seed. Some people come along in water. You know, you, Damien might talk to somebody at the Lord. Hey, I've never talked to you, but can I ask you something? I've been burdened for you. Can I? Has anybody ever told you the gospel? Do you know Jesus Christ? As your Lord and Savior. Man, you're the second person this week that asked me that. Somebody else might have planted a seed and he might come along and water it. Well, he said, Well, do you? Yeah, you know, to ask you the question, what's your answer? <clears throat> well, I'm gonna pray for you. Maybe they're not ready that at that moment. Maybe they don't, maybe they reject. Some people <coughs> plant some water. God gives the increase. Okay? God gives the increase because the, He's the Savior. But none of it's wasted. None of it's wasted. You think about somebody like Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. 120 years in building the ark. And he didn't get any converts other than his family. He got his family on the ark that God had prepared for their salvation. In a physical sense. Uh, Jeremiah, we read, he didn't convert the nation to repent and come back to Jehovah. He was thrown in a pit and then thrown in a pit again. And... And mocked in the words he wrote down, they threw in the fire and burned them up, the prophecies, and yet he was a preacher of righteousness and of the gospel at that time. And we're called to that, y'all. And it's not our responsibility whether or not they get saved. It is absolutely our responsibility. Do we go? Do we open our mouths and speak? We will be held accountable for that. I will be held accountable for that. And so I just ask the question. Uh, to myself why do I spend so much time even as a pastor why do I spend so much time on the things that aren't going to last I know you've heard that before but why do I spend so much of my time occupied on the things that are going to be burned up in so little time bearing the precious seed that the psalmist talked about it's going to bear fruit and I'll get to bring the harvest to the Lord you know Why do I spend so little time on that, which is of eternal value, and so much time, not just time, but, y'all, we spend our thoughts. Where is our minds most, our thoughts most of the time? Where's our planning and like, organizing our days and our future? So much of our energy, our passion, our heart, our thoughts, our mind, our finances, our time is spent on the temporal, the temporal. And then there's a little bit of portion, maybe. Hey, I'm going to go out witnessing Friday night on Downtown. I'm going to go on this mission trip every other year for five days. You know what I'm saying? And we think that's the extent of it. When actually we should be occupied with that. I'm not saying be unfaithful to your responsibilities in this natural life. That's not what I'm saying. Your jobs. I'm saying that we're a full-time evangelist. That's the calling of our lives. Everybody's not full-time ministry as far as a profession. But everybody is a full-time evangelist or a soul winner. And I need to examine my own life. It doesn't take me long to examine it either, to see how little time I spend (coughs) occupied in what's eternal. How about praying for souls? I know you can't be maybe witnessing to everybody every second. How much time do I spend praying for not just a lost world, but a lost dad? You know what I'm saying? A lost brother. A lost child how much time do we spend praying for their souls or praying God give me an opportunity when you give it to me help me to see it and seize it and and not miss miss the opportunity that you're giving me to lay hold on it Christ didn't Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross and save you and me merely to let us (laughs) go through life pretty much the way we were living before he saved us and called us He saved us and called us uh, with a a holy calling to live as light and to be light in the midst of a world of darkness. Ye are a chosen generation, right? Believers, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. What for? That ye should show forth the praises. Show forth. There's something public about it. There's something that's beyond just hidden in my heart. I thank the Lord it's in my heart. But that we should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that people would see this Christ that saved us in a new life and a changed life. And, and the Bible says, we were sometimes darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's the calling of God upon our lives. God didn't save us to let us just drift through life as believers. Sort of just kind of drift in, out on our own. He's very specific in his word the life that He's called us to live. My life may be different than Ethan's life in some sense, in so many senses, but in so many ways it's exactly the same too. The same Lord that saved him and washed him and has made him His man did that in my life. He's called to tell people that he works with or he comes in contact with about the Savior and so am I. And I can rejoice in the fruit and the salvations and the people he's getting to lead to the Lord. Maybe lead a hundred times people more 100 times more people to the Lord than I've led to the Lord. I can rejoice in that. You see what I'm saying? It's not the numbers. It is the fact that we're about our father's business. Jesus said at 12 years old, his parents came back looking for him and they found him in the temple talking about the things of God with the priest. And they said, son, you worried us sick. Why'd you deal with us like this? And he says, how is it you sought for me? Didn't you know I must be about what? My father's business my father's business. That word business there means to be about my father's employment, his demands, his needs, his use. I'm to be about my father's use. He's to use me as he wants to use me. And so there's a holy calling of God upon every life. And it's to be, there's more than just this, but part of that holy calling is to be a soul winner, is to be an evangelist. I just want to read the scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says, And all things are of God who has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I know you've heard the verse, but God's reconciled us unto himself. That's part one of that. Praise God for it, right? Through the blood of his cross. Then he has given everyone that he's reconciled unto himself a ministry. He says, Liz, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Not only did I reconcile you, but in reconciling you by the blood of Jesus and your faith in Christ, I have given you a ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, not imputing their trespasses unto them and committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He's given us that. Paul said to the weak, I become weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might be, might by all means save some. There was a desperation, there was a reality to it to it. Whatever it takes, it doesn't mean he become a sinner to save sinners, okay? It doesn't mean he partake in people's sins. It meant if he would he would, if people were sitting on the floor to eat their supper, he'd probably sit on the floor with them and eat their supper and use it as occasion to bring them the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? If he was out in a a field and people were picking grapes, he'd go out and pick some grapes with them probably and share the gospel with them. He became all things to all men that I may save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Jesus said unto them, this is the woman at the well. He'd been dealing with the woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman. His disciples come back later and they find him and they're just amazed that he's even talking to this woman. And, and, he's, and they said, well, we went to get food. Did you have any meat? And he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And that's what he was doing. Do the will of the one who has sent us. His will, his meat, the thing that sustained Christ was being in the Father's will. Man should not live by bread alone, Right. And it he, he, he was more than just physical meat. He goes, um, And to finish his work, say ye not that you're there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Hold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gather fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sows and he that re- reaps may rejoice together. There's a rejoicing that's coming, y'all. From the souls that we're able to bring to the Lord. And I want to, I got a couple of scriptures and a few more quotes from uh, Willie Burton that I wanted to read. So if you would um, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28 18. We're talking about the commission, okay, the call of God upon our lives. Where is that really found? Well, we just read in 1 Corinthians. About I mean, 2 Corinthians, that he's reconciled us unto God and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now look, look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We've all heard it. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, here's the calling, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That means the end of the age. Amen. Okay, now look at Mark chapter 16. We'll pick up in verse 20, 15. Mark 15, 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Guess what? There's going to be people that believe. There'll be people that don't. That's between them and God. But to go ye therefore and preach the gospel, that's my responsibility. That's put upon you and upon me. And these signs shall follow them that believe. We know the passage. They'll... they'll, uh, the Lord's name they'll cast out devils speak with new tongues take up serpents and they drink anything it's a deadly thing it won't hurt them they lay hands on the sick and they shall recover so then after the Lord has spoken unto them he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God and they went all right. they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following Amen not only has the Lord saved us He's called us to be reconcilers, right? And he's equipped us with what we need. Well, what do I need? What does Chuck need to be a soul winner? He needs the Holy Ghost in him. He needs the word of reconciliation. He's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the one gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The same gospel by which you got saved is the same gospel that other men are going to be saved by. We're already equipped with that. We're not waiting for Him to equip us with that. We may be waiting for a fresh new filling of His Spirit, but we're not waiting to be called to do that either. We're already called to it. We're called to be winning souls and reconciling men unto God. Again, they may be saved and they may not, but the calling of God is to go forth in His name and to preach His gospel. Amen. I want to read one more scripture in Jude. We'll start in verse 19. Jude, verse 19. And others have fear, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior. I'm sorry, I picked up the wrong word. Verse 19. These... uh, The only scripture I really wanted to read for that. Others saved with fear. It says, have compassion in verse 22 making a difference, that we ought to bring this gospel. We ought to say, by all means, that some would be saved. There's just not a higher calling of God upon a person's life. And, and again, we're going to let, oftentimes we'll, we'll let people let their life pass them by. And then they say, I wish I had, right? And I'm going to close, but I, I wish I had told more people about Jesus. That could be a regret that we have. And I don't want it to be a regret for my life. And I don't want it to be a regret for your life. By all means, save some. You know, save some. Be about the Lord's business and telling others about Jesus. And I want to just read this in closing. And then y'all can come up. It says... Uh, Willie Burton was writing in his journal. And again, this man, y'all, uh, if you ever get a chance to read his book called Out of Africa, I've got it. If you want to borrow it sometime and, and read it, he, he didn't just go preach the gospel. He didn't even just go to a dangerous territory. He went to places nobody had ever gone. And he knew that it was dangerous. Not only the, the malaria and the, the mosquitoes and everything in, these, in the Congo and these jungles of Africa, but the cannibalistic tribes, and that was going on. The witch doctors, and they wanted to kill him, and everywhere. And somehow, God just kept sparing his life. He didn't die from any of that. He finally died later in life after serving the God for I mean, serving the Lord for seventy-five years. But he went into places because of his burden. He got it. He got the calling of God. He understood it. He understood there was nothing more valuable than when he to Christ and serving the Lord. So I'm going to close with this. Uh, as William's plan. He says that if we are faithful in preaching the right gospel, know that God will be faithful in giving the right results. God working with them and confirming the Word with signs following. You know it says in Proverbs, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to those who send Him. For He refreshes the soul of His Master's. And then he asked this question, I thought it was a wonderful way to close this morning. What can we do? What can we do to refresh the mighty Godhead? In other words, how can we actually refresh Him? Like be a blessing to Him to where it was like a kind thing done to the Lord to like ease Him or help Him in some way. Not that He lacks anything, but He says what can we do to refresh the mighty Godhead? We can be faithful messengers and refresh the soul of our heavenly master. So I'm not responsible for appearances or apparent results, but in village and in forest, before black and white, to individuals and companies, to the chief and to his slaves, to the village elders and to the weak children, oh God, help me to refresh my Savior by being a faithful messenger. And I just want to make that my prayer and our prayer today. We can preach a lot of sermons on soul winning and be an evangelist. This is the one that God had for us today. You understand what the calling is. You understand the hour in which we live. We understand the privilege and the responsibility. And can we take some time and just bow before the Lord and ask Him to make us that? You might have prayed it a thousand times before Pray it again today. You might have not done it for a lot of time. You might have failed to do it like I have so many times. But it doesn't mean we have to fail tomorrow. Ask the Lord to implore you in the most valuable employment a person could ever have. He's entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. And committed to us the word of reconciliation. The Gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come before you, first of all, to say thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for washing us in the blood of Jesus. Thank you for making us the sons and and daughters of God and part of your family. And thank you, Lord, for calling us into the ministry of soul winning. In our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, at Christmas parties, at family reunions, God, in the grocery stores and Walmart, God, Let us be salt and light in our own homes, privately and publicly, God. And let us be conscious, Lord. Make us consciously aware that there's a lost world around us and we're the light. And Jesus in us is the light of the world. And and it's just a word, God. If they'll confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts, they can be saved, God. They may not be, but they can be. And Lord, help us to be about our Father's business like Jesus was at a young age. Help us to be about our Father's business, God. Involved in your employment, God. Do what you've called us to do, Lord. I pray, God, for Cornerstone Church, that we would be a soul-winning church, Lord. We'd be a spirit-filled church. We'd be a holy people separated unto you. We'd be filled with love and compassion for lost people and for saved people. And God, that we would be soul winners, Lord. Not just on church outreaches, but individually and day by day, we would be soul winners. God, would You use us to do this, to where soon this house it won't be big enough to hold us all, God, because souls would have been saved. They're coming to be discipled. And we say we can't fit in this living room anymore. We need to go get another building. I pray that You would do that, God. It would do. It would be. Uh, a soul winning church and we would be a soul winning people and I would be a soul winner God. And help us to pray God for a lost world. Help us to pray for opportunities.